Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland. The past few years have only served to highlight what allowing Westminster to make choices for us is like. So let's make the choices we want for our families and our communities right here in Scotland. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP. Now let's find out who's joining me on Scotland's Choice today. I'm Fergus Ewing. I'm the MSP for Inverness and Nairn, uh, um, a a position that I've held for the last 22 years and a great honour. Um, I uh, also spent two decades working as a, a solicitor with my own legal practice, uh, and I spent 13 years working as a, a government minister. And my name is Emma Harper. I am a South Scotland uh, regional MSP. I came to Holyrood in 2016, and before that, I was a operating theatre nurse for about 30 years. So if you need me to take bullets or your liver out and put a new one in, I can do that. <laughs> well, I don't think we'll try. We'll hopefully not have to take you up on that offer, but it's uh, very kind. Can I welcome both Fergus and Emma to the podcast? Uh, starting with you, Fergus, just I want to get a flavour of how you become involved uh, in politics. Um, how, how did you initially get into politics and how did you become part of the independence movement? Well, it was in the blood. It was in the family. My mother, Winnie Ewing, um, really... Set, set the independence cause alight in, in 1967 when she won Hamilton. So I was brought up um, to see my mother working as, as an MP, uh, as an MEP and then an MSP, actually. So it was in the blood. From an early age, I believe that Scotland should run our own affairs. It seems odd uh, that we, we don't accept that that's the norm for countries in the world. And I've always believed that Scotland has so many strengths with our people and our economy our natural environment, our resources, um, that we have the, the right skill set and assets that we need to be a successful country in the 21st century. And uh, I believe that as much now as I did when, when I first joined, which was um, about five decades ago. And Emma, what was your, your journey? So I lived in California for about 14 years and then returned home about 2004, 2005. And, you know, and while I lived in California, I saw how people celebrated their independence on July the 4th and and it was normal. It was just part of being in a normal independent country, running your own affairs, manage your own systems. And, you know, so when I came back to Scotland, I was asked to come to a local meeting of the SNP and I went along and uh, soon after that joined the party, got involved. And again, I totally agree with Fergus. I mean, I don't understand why people think it's it's mad to um, not think that any country our size can't run its own affairs and have its own financial autonomy. And so, so to me, that's part of why I'm, I'm involved in this, so that we can achieve independence. Well, thanks for that. And uh, obviously the weather's slightly different now from California, but uh, uh, but it can be just as good on certain days of the year. <laughs> um, back, in, back in 2014, uh, th- this episode is focusing on farming. You both represent uh, farming 
communities uh, in, in different uh, places in Scotland, and uh, and you both have experience of the farming community. Back in 2014, Better Together stated that staying in the UK is best for Scotland's farmer farming and rural communities. Now, many folk uh, bought that at the time, but as, as time goes on, do you think those who seek to sell the union have a strong argument? Now, where are we now in 2022? I'll start with you, Emma. Yeah, so going through the whole, like, as a South Scotland MSP, we've got three constituencies that are conservative MSPs and MPs. And so trying to engage and support people that like Brexit is not the way we want to go, um, that we see how supply chains have been interrupted, uh, our inshore fisheries are, had real struggles when um, the Brexit occurred. So, you know, for me, I, I really think that uh, what we have seen is the, the damage that has been inflicted on our farmers and supply chains. And that's something that, uh, you know, I think people are starting to pay attention to, um, whether they're our rural businesses or whether they're people that depend on our farmers for the food supply. So it's something that I'm really focused on making sure that people are aware of what the challenges are now as uh, we are dealing with the difficulties that Brexit has caused for us now. And we're in a unique uh, time in terms of looking at those particular difficulties because people can see that food and drink trade to the EU is down 47% in the first quarter of 2021 and overall 24% down on January. Worse is expected to come in 2022 with the implementation of border controls as well. So these are decisions that have been taken at Westminster in spite of the promises that were made in 2014 about looking after farming. Fergus, what are your thoughts on that? Well, in the the referendum on Scottish independence, the the No campaign largely comprised a series of negative scare stories. And one of them was that if you voted for independence, you'd be wrenched out of the European Union. And by implication, if you voted no to stay in Britain as part of the United Kingdom, then your position in the EU was safe, secure, and forever. And, you know, that simply was, was untrue. Um, and I think it does really reveal that most of the arguments against are really motivated by the desire to scare people mm. out of what I would regard as their birthright to be an independent country alongside all the other countries in the world. But, of course... Now we we are no longer in the in the European Union, and some of the problems we've seen have resulted from the disruption that the the trade barriers in particular have caused mm-hmm. for farmers, fishermen as well, and generally for free trade. I mean, obviously people are working hard to to try to resolve these, but I think the the real worry for farmers and crofters is that the European Union is not perfect; it's a bit bureaucratic, mm-hmm. but actually. It did provide a reasonable continuity of income for mm-hmm. farmers and crofters. It did support food production, perhaps not in the right way. Um, and uh, I was delighted when I was the farming minister to force the UK government to pay back to Scotland the convergence monies that had been mm-hmm. withheld from us for numerous years, which Europe mandated to Scotland. Mm-hmm. That 160 million plus an additional 50 million that we secured working with uh, Jim Walker and others. Um, People forget the long fight that you had to wage to get that money released uh, for farmers. And it, should have, it shouldn't have had to be a fight. It should have just been something that uh, came to uh, farmers by right. Well, it was a, it was a long campaign. It was um, very few people thought, actually, that we would succeed. Um, and we did, of course, repay 
all that money to farmers and crofters. Mm -hmm. Every penny went to farmers and crofters. It was their money and it went to them. But getting back to the, the big issue of, of independence, you know, I think that in Scotland, we value farmers and crofters um, for three things, producing high quality food. And we should never take food security for granted, particularly in this uncertain world in which mm -hmm. we live. Secondly, they have always been the custodians of the environment, even before the phrase environmentalism became part of the common usage. They've always been the people who actually do the work in maintaining the dikes and the fences, the fields, the patterns of crofting, the, the patterns of farming, of arable farming, of livestock farming, of fruit farming, of vegetable farming that we've seen. They're the ones that actually sculpt and shape the land and take a pride in it because they pass it on to the next generation mm -hmm. in almost every case. And thirdly, they're at the heart of rural Scotland. And I think that now that we're out of Brexit, it's becoming more clear that the UK government wants to stop paying farmers for producing food. They think it's not necessary. They seem happy to import things from New Zealand or Brazil instead. I think that's very, very dangerous and a well, very short-sighted policy. Well, let, let's talk about those uh, import deals that they want to do, because many of the trade deals which the UK government's been working on in the wake of Brexit, frankly, spell disaster for Scottish farming. I know this covering international trade at Westminster. For our listeners who can't be, uh, who, who maybe not be aware of this, can you please explain the impacts that these deals will have in, on our farmers, as you were about to touch on there? Well, um, before um, Brexit happened, we had, of course, a free market in Europe and free movement of people. And that was enormously beneficial, particularly when we require labour for the likes of, of uh, fruit, fruit picking um, and many other areas of farming and social care and other areas as well and hospitality. Um, so we had free movement, but we also had free trade within Europe. But out with Europe, there were special deals that the EU had with the likes of New Zealand, which protected us against um, an excessive volume, for example, of New Zealand lamb. In other words, it was regulated what the, the imports were and that was kept at a kind of sustainable level. But Britain, after getting out of Brexit, was desperate to show that it wanted, it had some friends and was scouring the world um, with the binoculars, you know, friends ahoy. Um, and the deals that they've done tend to have been with countries that very much want to export far more of their farm produce, produce to Scotland hmm. and thereby undermine our markets. And because of reasons relating to climate, um, it, it is more difficult in some ways to farm, livestock farming in particular, because of weather and costs that it imposes on maintaining good husbandry and looking after animals, keeping them indoors, paying for feed. You don't really have that in, in New Zealand, for example. The, the animals are just left, the sheep are left out on, on, on the land all year round. The production costs are cheaper. So there is a, a real risk that our, our um, markets are being undermined. I, I'm pleased that my successor, Mary Goujon, is taking up this issue very strongly from what I've seen in the Scottish mm -hmm. Parliament, yeah. as are yourself and the cohort of our MPs. But goodness me, wouldn't it be better if we were in the EU and with the EU able to enjoy the enormous benefits for farming and crofting that that, that membership enjoyed? And it's now becoming all too manifest that yeah. these were very real benefits which we're in danger of losing alongside the financial support, which I think is under threat from the Treasury's BDI that want to direct this money elsewhere. 
Mm-hmm. Indeed. And um, Emma, the worry is that Australia's uh, lower standards combined with the tariff-free deal that uh, Boris Johnson favours will price Scotland out of the market altogether. Uh, the New Zealand free trade for, uh, deal, for example, is actually likely, just as likely to cost the UK money rather than actually make any money. The US trade deal is frozen. The, the, the US is showing uh, no signs of uh, moving. But but now we also have the upcoming Canada nego- negotiations where hormone-treated beef uh, could also undercut Scottish farmers and undermine food farmers for Scottish consumers. What are, what are farmers in your communities thinking about this? Well, I mean, it is interesting that, you know, Martin Kennedy, who's the president of the National Farmers Union in Scotland, has also raised concerns about these trade deals. And, you know, we've had many as a debate in chamber and a committee when Fergus was CABSEC that I would raise in chamber issues around, like, hormone-treated beef and not just using the words hormone-treated beef, but actually naming the, the hormones and what is the purpose of ractopamine and these drugs that are used in pig production or beef production as well. And, you know, the different levels of acceptable um, cell counts for uh, dairy produce mm-hmm. is it's, it's reduced in America, for instance, compared to this country. Th- this is leaving, th- Emma, this is leaving aside all the issues of a- animal welfare and treatment and so forth, because the, there yeah. are there are very, very different practices in in the countries that we're looking to do uh, trade deals with. So so this yeah. is on top of those those uh, issues. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and like do, um, it was just before. Uh, must have been just before 2021, um, I held a round table with the local NFU chairman, Colin Ferguson, and Joseph Stanley, who's a farmer in Leicestershire. And I was wanting their voices to be heard rather than just folk listen to me about hormone beef and, uh, and better welfare that we provide in Scotland. And both Joseph Stanley and Colin did raise issues around um, when we're doing trade deals. Why are we, uh, we should be concerned actually about whether it's Argentinian beef or or the the, the, the welfare of the, the beasts. And, and obviously, you know, for me in Dufries and Galloway, we've got um, 48% of Scotland's dairy farms and we need to support the dairy farms uh, in order to produce the, uh, our dairy produce and kind of picking up on the, the immigration issue that Fergus was talking about during the Brexit campaign, you know, we had people saying, you're not welcome if you're from Europe, you mm. don't want immigrants. That was Nigel Farage's hatred-driven, you know, campaign slogans. And, and you know, and like our 48% of Scotland's dairy farms, it's our Romanians, Lithuanians, Bulgarians and Polish folk who are milking the cows. Their partners are working in social care and hospitality and their wains are in our rural schools and so if we don't support and welcome our uh, European neighbours then we're really going to struggle with our rural economy not just in Dumfries and Galloway but the other rural regions uh, across Scotland so I really um, I really worry about the way that uh, like the, the, the UK government keep prolonging this anti-immigration issue when we really do need to be welcoming people to support our rural businesses, not just in food and drink, but uh, across the whole of Scotland, the healthcare as well. And it's worthy of saying time and time again that the deficit that we've got uh, now from the uh, treatment that the UK has put to our friends and neighbours from uh, who are EU nationals, the ones that have been had to worry for years and then others that are no longer uh, no longer feel welcome to come 
uh, to the UK. Of course, there's always a welcome in Scotland, but there are barriers now to uh, to them coming here, whereas in the past it was much easier for them to come and help, you, help out. Fergus, around uh, this time last year, you said that Scottish farmers would lose out to the tune of £170 million between then and 25, compared with the subsidies that they could have expected under the EU's common agricultural policy. A year later, has the UK government done anything to change your mind? No, they, they, they haven't uh, uh, satisfied me on that at all. And I think this was part of the Treasury plan to uh, extract the UK from the European Union in order to redirect money that went to support rural Britain, including rural Scotland, to other purposes because they never approved of paying farmers money. Um, I think on sort of ideological grounds. I'm not sure that many of these civil servants in London spend too much time on farms, incidentally. Uh, they didn't really, from their fingernails, it's not evident that they spend too much time doing any fact-finding. But no, they, there is a very real concern that through a series of sleights of hand, that they will reduce the amount of money that we would have received had we remained in the EU. It's, it's a complicated overall picture. But I haven't seen yet that the, the UK have admitted that they, they were at fault. And we did work with Wales and Northern Ireland on mm-hmm. this uh, as one at the time. So obviously my successor, Marie Goujon, will be dealing with this negotiation. And I would expect that she will, and I've seen that she's commented on this, continue to fight for the Scottish cause to make sure that we can support farmers and crofters in the way that we have in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I'm confident that that's the task that she will be doing. And, and um, I, I think, as an aside, it's worth mentioning. I, I tackled uh, Michael Gove in the uh, in in the Westminster Parliament just the other week about the Leveling Up Fund here in the Highlands, for example. You know, we're also losing out in tens of millions of pounds of uh, of support that we would have got through through EU funding, and they've put the Highlands and Islands into the lowest. Um, of the cat- category three, the lowest of the categories uh, for funding. So, yeah, so there are there are layers upon layers of issues that are affecting rural communities, not just this. Let, let's turn to some of the uh, product that we uh, export. We we saw that whiskey exports and uh, fish exports were the worst hit in the immediate aftermath of leaving the EU in 2021. You referred to that, uh, Emma, with exports down 32% and 52% respectively on them. Salmon exports themselves have dropped by 20%. Given the importance of these exports to the Scottish economy, how does independence revitalise these? I'll start with you, Emma. Well, you know, I, I always think about the access to millions more people in a European market compared to um, the rest of the UK. And, you know, we've seen how successful um, salmon has been as a product when we are exporting it, you know, to France or, or Spain or wherever. So, you know, if we were independent and then if we, uh, the, the, people of Scotland decide to to be part of the European Union, that means that we will be able to support exporting our product directly to European markets. So, and salmon, as you've mentioned, is absolutely one of them. You know, we know that it's one of the best products that comes out of, you know, comes out of our, our, mm-hmm. our, uh, our seas. 
Well, we know that whiskey, for example, will always be a, a great trading product, and it, it you know it will go to markets outside the EU. They've taken whiskey's taken a big hit, of course, from uh, leaving the EU, and now they we know that the only way for us to be able to rejoin that market for salmon and other goods, and we've we've talked about the export figures and so forth uh, just now, is to rejoin the EU. Uh, we've had Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, rule that out as a Labour policy in the past few days. We know the Tories are not going to uh, take us back. And Fergus, the, the only way for Scotland to rejoin the EU is as an independent country, isn't it? Well, that, that is, is my view. It, it does very much look that way. It's difficult to understand what the Labour Party want or are planning to do, really. It's not very clear to anybody. But we have made it clear and we do think that membership of the EU conferred many benefits. I mean, to, to go into practicalities, one of them was protected ge- ge- geographical um, a, a ind- indicators, which, for example, protect the role of, of you know, Arbroath, Smokies, Orkney, Cheese. And these are very useful commercially to provide a, an enhanced value, um, additional value for what are um, recognised as uh, products of European and world-class renown, there was a settled EU regime of PGIs which protected these famous Scottish icons in the food and drink world. And out with the EU, it's not at all clear Mm -hmm. how this is going to to operate. And we in Scotland won't operate on volume. We can't compete with Brazil or New Zealand on volume. We, We can and must compete on quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, farmers and crofters are, are innovative, ingenious. They're thinking of new ways of doing things all the time. Many of the younger generation are business people first uh, in espousing new business techniques, particularly digital technology, to get the maximum yield in arable, for example. And there's moves to look at, at uh, um, gene editing, not genetic modification, but gene editing. And uh, there's, there's a debate now about this. And it appears in the face of it that there's perhaps much to be gained. Um, the First Minister suggested there should be a debate about this fairly recently. Uh, and I think in the farming world, there's a recognition that the the better the quality, the more secure our products will be in, in this world. And mm-hmm. exporting will always be really important. And these are just not matters, uh, Drew, which the UK government were that concerned about. Yeah, they were, they were always polite. They always played a good game of cricket. Um, they were always affable if you were civil, and that was fine. But we're not playing cricket. We're in a fiercely competitive world here, and you need to really fight for your own corner. And that fight, that appetite to go the extra mile for Scotland's interests was completely lacking. Mm-hmm. And I can say that hand and heart because, you know, I spent hundreds of hours at meetings with UK ministers, and no matter how pleasant and polite they were, there wasn't that impetus of fighting for Scotland's interests and, and corner uh, and putting that extra bit of effort in mm-hmm. with themselves or their officials to secure that result. And, and uh, why, why would it be otherwise? Because they don't represent Scotland. They, no. they almost all represent English constituencies. Mm-hmm. There aren't actually very many Scottish it, MPs it, it, in the Tory party. You know, it's a bit like in America, there used to be great herds of buffalo. Uh, those days have gone, but there will always be one or two of them dotted around the place, yeah. I suppose. And, and these um, these trade deals, all these trade deals that the UK government are now desperately searching for, if you package them all together, they, they make pennies in the pounds that we've lost 
uh, from the EU. Rejoining the EU would reopen these lost trade links and would allow exports to flourish again, while allowing us the, the freedom to create bespoke trade deals with non-EU nations, of course, uh, you know, as an independent country. Emma, what would you hope to see happen in the immediate period following a yes vote with regards to farming to support the industry in the move to rejoining the EU? Okay, um, so just before I answer that, I would just remind you of Liz Truss hailing a deal with Japan, Mm -hmm. selling them cheddar cheese, which Japanese folk didn't eat. So (laughs) that was something that you know, they're, they're, they're good at the spin, but really what's not happening is um, good at getting the best deal for mm. our Scottish farmers. But, uh, you know, in a, a future independent Scotland, I would, I suppose the immediate thing would be reassuring our farmers that the, the Scotland, an independent Scotland, has the... That the, the the has the farmers' mm-hmm. backs basically. Yeah. We want to support the the production to to be the best, to have the best welfare support, to make sure we've got um, engaging in local supply chains, which we've seen during COVID that people have supported short local supply chains. People are more engaged now in where their their um, the farm produced products come from. And um, so you know, and again, we have less favoured areas in Scotland that are 75% of the land compared to the opposite in England and and you know we go grow grass really really well in mm-hmm. Scotland so we do do well for our beef and our sheep and our belted galloways for instance on out on the hill all year round so I would be, want to focus on how can we maybe support processing in Scotland like Instead of sending our all our milk south of the border, can we process it in Scotland and then work on developing um, maybe small little cooperative factories that support uh, short supply chains and local economies? That's one thing I would do um, it, so that we basically help support employment mm. and, uh, and businesses directly on our own doorsteps. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, selling things across the border. Of course, it's often said that, you know, Scotland is, a, you know, exports mainly to the rest of the UK. But that that's true of, you know, for example, pipe goods, oil, gas, uh, renewable electricity, and, uh, services like insurance and so forth. But very uh, few people appreciate that actually the vast majority of our manufactured goods, the things we make here in Scotland, go uh, out to the EU and the wider world uh, with it. Fergus, how is Scottish produce uh, thought of um, around the world? Is it something that would do well uh, for us uh, if we're able to to, uh, rejoin the EU or even in the interim? uh, Is it something that would still do well as an export for us? Oh, yes. I think the the Scottish brand is very strong. And and I saw that when, for example, um, about six months before lockdown, I went to the Anuga, which is the world's largest uh, a food and drink sort of trade fair where businesses go along to win new export markets. So I went along to fly the flag at the Scottish stand and I saw for myself how well regarded um, Scotland is in many, many niche areas. Salmon, for example, which has the um, the, the uh, complement of Le La Belle Rouge in France, which is not handed out li- lightly to non-French yeah. producers of food, I can tell you. Um, Scottish steaks, hugely prized um, a, in in Canada, in Italy, where I met buyers who were dealing with Scottish suppliers. So 
the food and drink industry has been a big success story and until Brexit came along, which really um, caused and is causing continued difficulties. Um, but we can overcome these, you know, and mm. farming is a, is a long-term business. Farmers have a, don't see things in terms of months, but in several years. And there, there will always be that, that niche market there for quality produce in, from Scotland. And we do have a very wide range of, of products. Um, of course, each sector has, always will have its challenges. That's, that's the way life is. But in Scotland, I think that the, these challenges have by and large been overcome in producing quality goods, which the world enjoys. And, uh, and that's just one of the many strengths we have in our economy, which um, is, is far stronger, I think, than people realise in Scotland, maybe because people who support the union have been too busy trying to, to, to sort of indoctrinate us into this strange view that somehow we're too poor to run our own affairs, unlike any other country that that uh, is exists in the world. Well, well, let's talk about. Sorry, Emma, you want to come Just in? Just a quick, uh, a, a quick thought. I read a recent study which kind of backs up what Fergus is saying about Scottish produce being recognised across Europe and the world. Um, that the recent study demonstrated that sixty-five percent of Scots preferred to see a saltire on products in supermarkets compared to only ten percent say said they would want to see a union flag. So that just shows the power of the brand that people recognise as a, a good welfare and a good produced product in Scotland. So if we can show folk that this is what, what they're getting across the whole of Europe and the world, if they see a saltire on the label, then that's obviously a good sign for us. And um, as an independent nation... Uh, what positive changes can we make to support the livelihoods of Scottish farmers into the future? Fergus? Well, I, I think that we can make sure that we continue to provide support for farmers and crofters to produce food as well as being the custodians of the landscape. I think that the many farmers feel, what are, they, what are farmers worried about at the moment? They're worried that the government doesn't support food production in, in the UK that the money is going to be withdrawn, and it is gradually being withdrawn. Secondly, they're, they're worried about the, the, not the vegan movement, because of course people are quite entitled to choose if they wish to be vegans or vegetarians or, or choose to enjoy our high quality meat in Scotland. It's entirely a matter of individual choice, but there is a concern that, that some campaigners want to ban um, meat products and dairy products indeed, um, which of course are so essential for a balanced diet and the health of, of many of us, and, and particularly teenagers growing up for healthy bones and so on. So they're worried about that and they're worried about the extremists at the end of the environmental issue that want to ban things which are, are sort of good practices in farming like controlling predators, crows and foxes and so on, which otherwise will take land. So I think, I think these are some of the things farmers are worried about and and I hope that in Scotland we, we would be able better to be their friend and be their advocate, as well as on the macro level of providing that voice, that direct, uh, powerful voice that is required to secure their interests on the international stage. But farmers and crofters, you know, they're very resilient, very hardworking people. Um, they, they don't think that anyone owes them a living, and they are very resilient in, in making their own success 
and working hard to do that. And we're very fortunate in the country to have farmers and crofters as the bedrock of rural Scotland. And I think that support you're talking about uh, has been demonstrated by you in particular and Emma and others uh, over the uh, past number of years in the Scottish Parliament where you have had to fight these battles, as we mentioned earlier, to get the payments, to get the support. Um, and now we've got the battles that are going on to maintain the standards. Let, let's switch to something a bit wider, still talking about being outward looking and so forth. But g- given the growth of soft power, uh, Emma, that the Scottish government has been engaging in and the declining place of the UK within the world, uh, where do you see an independent Scotland sitting in the world stage? Well, we saw evidence of um, the First Minister's ability to engage at COP26 in Glasgow. Um, and that was, uh, you know, demonstrated by the goodwill towards Scotland there. And so you don't need to be a massive country to exert influence. What you need to do is obviously, um, you know, look after your citizens and look outward and engage. And that's something that uh, I would c- uh, continue to want to do as far as engaging with our European neighbours and wider neighbours as well. And so so that's a, a simple example of how Scotland did show that we can host this COP26 uh, and and use that as a platform to show how mature Scotland is Mm -hmm. when approaching dealing with climate emergency, for instance, and like for us supporting farmers locally, let's encourage um, young people to get into farming, let's support skills development, whether it's agri-forestry, whether it's rural, as in farming, whether it's beef, sheep production and arable. So so as a small country or a... Stuart Stevenson used to say to me, we're not a small country, Emma, we're a right-sized country. <laughs> and so what we need to say is we are a right-sized country in, in so that the, the government can engage uh, without too many steps with the citizens so that we can all work together to look at making sure that Scotland's voice is heard on the world stage and back to COP26. That's what the First Minister was able to demonstrate last November. And what are your thoughts on that, Fergus? Well, I think Emma's made very many good points, particularly that Scotland's not a small country. I mean, I think we've got a good mix of population versus um, land size in Scotland. And looking at it um, for the rest of the century, Drew, I mean, plainly, climate change is is an issue that is concerning uh, people in the world, throughout the world, and we can make a contribution far more than the rest of the UK because we've got the land assets in forestry, in peatland management, in renewable energy. And the potential in renewable energy is completely unrealized because Ofgem and the UK government are so lethargic, almost to the point of stasis, actually, uh, in not using our assets in the West Isles, the best wind assets in Europe, uh, in, in not using our pump storage assets. And we've got projects just ready to go, already consented, gone through the process, ready to go, mm. meeting the needs of balancing a, a grid based on renewable energy with um, storage. That's what we require, more storage. Why didn't, on earth are they not using what's on their own doorstep when they're importing nuclear power from France? Why? It, it is incredible. We've got a, a London government. It's quite incredible. <laughs> yeah. So... So I would say that country, we, we are a right-sized country, as, as Stuart Stevenson um, put us right, as he so often did on a very wide range of topics, as I recall. Um, and we, we do have a mix of, uh, of populated areas and very sparsely populated areas, which allow us 
to use our land for the 21st century, I think. So we're, we're uniquely well-placed. And, you know, with assets like salmon farming, and which I think sh- should, will, should and will do far better in years to come with some reforms that are underway um, or about to be underway, I expect. And whiskey, of course, is the, the goose that, that continues to lay golden eggs for the UK Treasury. Indeed. And, and it, it, it's interesting, nobody's saying that we won't face challenges or we won't have our own uh, difficulties here, but being able to make the decisions means that you can uh, you can, you can can go out there and you can engage in a much more positive way. Emma was talking about you know, the, the treatment of EU nationals and people who come to work here earlier. That's something that you can uh, rectify as an independent country, where, whereas at the moment we're just stuck with a policy that nobody agrees with here. So there's there's a big place for our soft power, isn't there, in yeah. terms of going forward? Well, well, there is. And if you look at countries over the last hundred years that have that have regained or gained their independence, mm-hmm. uh, such as you know, Ireland, such as, as uh, the Baltic countries, such as Scandinavian countries, it's just around about a century that they've enjoyed independence, perhaps slightly longer. Um, none of them are wanting to go back and and subjugate themselves into a larger union with others. Mm-hmm. All of them, or almost all of them, have decided that they can be independent within the European Union and get the benefits from that whilst remaining a proud independent countries that offer the world great things. Some of the most successful countries in the world, particularly in terms of measuring success by social cohesion, healthiness, good lives, and so on, and um, as well as a strong GDP. So, you know, Scandinavian countries, Baltic countries, Ireland, they, they are poster boys for independence, really, and uh, why not Scotland? So you're right, Drew, and that doesn't mean we won't make mistakes because, you know, we, we, we are all fallible, but um, I think that overall, and after a fairly short period, there will be no going back, and that people in Scotland will see this as essential for our continuing success. And it does rest with us now, really, to drive that task on. But, you know, but, we, are, we, we are the ones in the driving seat at the moment to, to get the referendum, to deliver a successful result in that referendum uh, and drive Scotland forward. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to that work now that we're just about over COVID, mm-hmm. we hope um, we, can, we can get back to the main purpose for which we, all three of us and others, have been elected yeah. to serve. Indeed. Well, let's let's finish with this uh, question about you know what you would like to see in an independent Scotland. Emma, if I could ask you, if you could implement one policy or or change a current policy that we currently can't uh, change or introduce in an independent Scotland, what would it be? Um, basically, the ability to have full fiscal control of everything that we produce. You know, we are a rich country in resources and we don't have the ability to say what we want to do with when we're sending our electricity to the grid or wind generation and all of that revenue. So basically what we can't do now is decide where we spend our money. And in an independent Scotland, we can choose absolutely what we will do if, a, if we have a strong economy, we decide how we want to spend spend the revenue that we create from it. And Fergus? Well, I, I think the, the biggest mistake in life is to spurn an opportunity when it arises because the window of opportunity can often slam shut your fingers if you don't take, take the opportunity when it arises. And similarly, I think that independence would allow us to grab the opportunities uh, where that window has been slammed on our fingers by London for far too long. 
whether it's in renewable energy, whether it's on the emerging opportunities of carbon capture and storage, which I think could extend the, uh, the, the life and livelihoods of people in the Northeast by several decades if we grab that opportunity now, uh, whether it's in maximizing success of our farming, our forestry, our fishing, and our whiskey and salmon sectors, uh, which already have that cachet of world renown, building on our finance sector, investment sector, which is respected and trusted throughout the world. Um, grabbing opportunities is what it's all about. And it's very difficult to grab opportunities when the people who make the decisions are based in London. Emma Harper, MSP, Fergus Ewing, MSP, thank you very much indeed for joining us on Scotland's yes. Choice. Thank you, Drew. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Scotland's Choice. You can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot and you can watch the full-length videos on YouTube. If you can share this podcast and our videos, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry, and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.